0: Liverpool 3-0, call it, take it quickly, a yeah! yeah!
1: He's Yes! Yeah!
0: <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Anfield Central podcast. A win for Liverpool, what seems like ages since we've had one of those. A 2-0 victory over Southampton at the weekend on Saturday night. I'm joined by Paddy and Max to discuss it and the upcoming fixture against Manchester United. Guys, how are
2: we doing after that?
1: Oh, good. Finally, nice to come onto the podcast after getting a win not Used to doing that,
2: yeah. Always a pleasure to get uh three points on a weekend, even that if that is a bit of a rarity these days, yeah. So it was a two-0 win over Southampton,
0: Mane and Thiago with the goals. What are our overall thoughts on the performance?
1: Um, it was decent, wasn't great, but that doesn't really matter at this stage of the season, I don't think. Um, you know, all that really matters was the win. I think the second half, especially, was the, the longer it went on, the more nervous we were getting, I suppose, with the the recency bias of, of this season in mind was it seemed almost inevitable that we were going to concede it near the end but um, you know once that beautiful Spanish midfielder put that ball into the bottom corner, <laughs> it eased a few nerves um, so yeah it was, it was nice to finally be able to put a team to bed
2: yeah that was it I mean it was following the script rather nicely wasn't it Liverpool go 1-0 up in the second half sorry yeah huh. Liverpool go 1-0 up in the first half Pressure starts to build from the opposition team. Liverpool miss a few chances. Someone like Yannick Vestergaard gets up at a corner, 1-1. We all cry and then repeat. But this time, no, no. We um, uh, The pressing game um, was much better towards the end of the game. And uh, as Paddy said before, the rather gorgeous Spaniard um, in our midfield scored his first goal for the club. Good goal as well. Um, I mean, he's got the technique for it. You always see him popping up on the edge of the box and taking volleys that are always blots, but he always hits them really well from the edge of the box. Yeah. He can strike a ball. I mean, anyone who's got the passing range that he does knows how to strike a football. So I think he's definitely one of our biggest threats in range, which we just, we haven't had that since Coutinho, really.
0: Yeah, it was really good to see him get on the, get on the score sheet and maybe put some doubters, um, shut some doubters up a little bit. Uh I feel like I ask this question every every week recently, but in terms of the top four race, it was obviously kind of massive to get the three points. We, it was a slim chance probably before the weekend. Probably is still slim, but a bit more doable with Leicester and West Ham both losing. Do we now see it as a straight fight for that fourth spot with us and Leicester?
1: Um, it is and it isn't. I think Chelsea are, are kind of gone. I don't think we should be focused on them anymore but you can't really rule out West Ham yet considering under normal circumstances you probably could because I don't think they're going to win their last three games, but I'm not sure we will either. So I think it's there's still three teams in it. Um, I suppose considering Leicester's fixtures, they're the logical team to, to try catch Rider than Chelsea. So I think, yeah, essentially it is between us and Leicester, but I wouldn't rule out West Ham just yet.
2: Well, the benefit is um, for us... Is that Leicester's fixtures are awful, and it looks like they are heading into their you know traditional run of really bad form towards the end of the season. Um, and yeah, it's <sighs> Chelsea are gone, as um, as Paddy said. Like I don't think that's going to happen. West Ham, I think will. If they beat Brighton, I think going to the Amex is a. I know Brighton haven't been in the best form recently, but that going to the Amex is tricky. Um, but I think if West Ham win that, they'll win their last two games against um, uh, West Brom and Southampton. But if we win our, all our games and they win all theirs, we finish ahead of them. Um, uh, United, I. Yeah, I, I don't think we're going to beat United, to be perfectly honest. I, I think that. Oligon of Solskjaer, I don't know if he's petty enough to, I'm not going to say throw the uh, game against Leicester, but I think it, it's a very convenient excuse for him to try and do some damage to a rival to say, oh no, like, you know, the um, the fixture pilot, which is accurate. The fixture pile up is going to kill us. I need to rest players in the, in this game. Oh, what a coincidence. It's against Liverpool's main rivals for the top four finish and then we can bring our starting players back in to um, uh, play against Liverpool at Old Trafford.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people on social media have been making that point um, and it would be interesting to see what, what, what the team selection looks like in both those games. Um Just on a side note, if you're a Leicester fan and they do miss out on top four this year, I think last season they were in the top four places every single game week until the last game of the season. And then this year, I don't know if that stat is exactly the same this year, but they've definitely, they've been in the top four pretty much the whole season. So if they drop out two years in a row, it must be absolute killer. Um, so yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens in the, the remaining fixtures. In terms of this game a bit more precisely, Alisson got man of the match. She made a couple of really good saves. Um, there was one at 0-0, what, what he made. um with a bit of a makeshift defence in front of him, he was his role was obviously of greater importance than maybe it would be if you have a Van Dijk and the Gomez partnership. Do we think we undervalue his role in the team a little bit when the last two years or, or so, we've obviously had a very stable back four, a really prolific front three? Do we think maybe we sometimes take Alisson for granted?
1: I'm not sure we did before this season anyway. I think everyone kind of appreciated that he was, you know, one of, if not the best goalkeeper in the world. Um, this season, you know, he has had a bit of a tougher time at things. I suppose not his fault. He's, he's suffered with injury and then, I suppose, personal tragedy as well, which has definitely had an effect on his, his on-field performances. But, yeah, I think he definitely reminded everyone of exactly how good he is at the weekend. Um, yeah, so I think so he's, he's not the kind of goalkeeper who's going to pull off these fingertips. Diving saves because basically his positioning is so good that he doesn't need to pull off these, you know, madly acrobatic saves. Um, so I don't know, maybe he doesn't get as much credit as he deserves in that sense, but yeah, he's you know, on top form, probably the best in the world. He looked, I suppose, a lot fitter. I, th- I think he's, he kind of put on a bit of weight at some stage there in the middle of the season as well. As I think at the weekend he looked a lot fitter, a bit leaner as well. So hopefully he's he's back to his best now if he can just avoid the injuries again, I suppose.
2: Yeah, that's the biggest thing for me is that, like, with, with a goalkeeper as much as anything, I think you need rhythm. Um, When you're going into it, like, I mean, obviously there's the <laughs> substitute keeper curse with Liverpool. Whenever <laughs> a, a substitute keeper comes in against us, they always seem to turn into some sort of hybrid of. Lev Yash and Manuel Neuer and Gigi Buffon. But in most cases, I think Allison struggles when he comes back for a game or two quite often when he's come from injury, which, and he does get injured a lot for a keeper. Um, but yeah, I think if if you don't have him behind Van Dijk and Gomez and, you know, the whole celebrated back line, I don't think it's as effective. He's not as good as Edison with the ball at his feet, but he's, you know, he's very, very important to how we build our play back, very confident to claim crosses. He's a big, powerful presence, not afraid to come and collect the ball if it goes in behind, which again, if you're playing a high line like we are is vital. Uh, That's going to be even more important with probably a back uh, centre-back pairing of Reese Williams and um, Nat Phillips against the likes of Marcus Rashford and Mason Greenwood with their pace um, on Thursday against Man United, he's probably going to have to do a lot of sweeping up. And I just hope that we don't see a Leicester City-style cock-up where he runs into his own defender and <laughs> and, um, and their striker goes in and scores. Let's hope we've only seen that once this season.
0: Yeah, and we've obviously seen him make some fantastic saves in his Liverpool career. Obviously, the, ma- the one that sticks in the mind the most, the most famous one is probably that one he makes against Milik against Napoli um, in the Champions League winning season.
1: Just before we move on, um, do we think, would we say Allison's best keeper in the league? In the league, yeah, I think so. Ederson is probably the only one who comes close and I think Allison Ederson is better with his feet but I think Allison probably beats him on every other aspect.
2: Yeah, I'd say, honestly, Ederson and Allison is very close. I, I think it depends on what type of keeper you want. Like, um, I, I would say he's if not the best, he's certainly top two. I think there's a big gap between Himself and Edison, and then there's sort of the David De Gea's, the Hugo Lloris, um, even Fabianski, um, kind of keepers in that sort of second pool. And Fabianski's probably lucky to get mentioned with those two, but he's been really good for um, for the last two years. And De Gea and Lloris have dropped off a bit from their old levels. Yeah, I'd probably throw Kasper Schmeichel in there as well, but he's not as good. Yeah, Kasper Schmeichel's good. Um, and yeah.
1: probably isn't fair off either, in fairness. I think he probably deserves a PFA team of the season players in fairness to him.
0: Yeah, I think he's competing for the, that Golden Glover, isn't he, So for, to do that in a Villa side, who, you know, they're in their second season back in the Premier League, that, that says a, a lot about him. Um, in terms of the team this weekend, we obviously, like Max has said, we saw Phillips and Rhys Williams back at centre-half. Um, I won't lie, when I saw they were both starting next to each other, even though I completely agree that I'd rather have Fabinho in the midfield, I was a little bit worried, particularly with, with Williams. But Phillips, I think, again was fantastic on the weekend. I think since he's came in to the team, um, he's not really put a foot wrong. He heads absolutely everything. If his heading could probably do a bit of work attacking-wise and it could defensive-wise, I think there's one chance he probably could have done better with in the opposition box. Um but with Kanate coming in and question marks over Kabak's fitness at present and there's been some talk maybe Kabak won't get kept on because Kanate's coming in, would you keep Phillips around next season?
1: Um, no, I don't think I would, to be honest, as much as you know, I have great time for him. I think he's, he's, he's obviously a great professional and wears his heart in his sleeve and, and has all the passion and everything that you want to see from a centre-back. I just don't think he's at the level you know, we need him to be. Um, I think if you get 10 to 12 million pounds for Phillips, I think you take it and you invest that to the, um, you know, the 18 million that, that Kabak would cost. Because I, I do think his ceiling is a fair bit higher. Um, and then any potential sell-on value would be would be a lot higher as well. So I think if it was a choice between Phillips and Kabak, i keep Kabak, to be honest. If it's a case where, you know, we bring in Kanate, we have Van Dyke, Gomez, Kanate, and Matip as our four centre-halves, then I would keep Phillips because, you know, as a fifth choice centre half, then then perfect. Um, if, you know, that's if Kabak is completely out of question. But I don't think I'd be too keen to hold on to him.
2: Yeah, it, I agree with Patty on that one. Um, if if um, Kabak isn't kind, which I've seen some rumours that Liverpool are only signing once and a half this summer, um, whether it's Canate or um, uh, or Kabak. Um, then yeah keep Phillips around that's if Phillips wants to stay he's not that young anymore and you know I'm not sure given that he's had a taste of you know constant first team football I'm not sure he'd want to you know essentially just sit on the bench apart from League Cup games um, uh, throughout the rest of the season now I wouldn't blame him if um, because I I think he's Premier League standard I, I don't see why a Burnley or a Brighton or someone like that um, wouldn't come in and pay, you know, 10, 15 million quid for him. And I think you do, I think you do fine um, at those clubs. And I think that it would be a, I think it'd be a disservice to say to him, no, we want to keep you as a fifth choice centre-back, you know, when he's heading into his mid twenties and could be playing first team football when you have Canate coming in, um, with at Van Dijk and Gomez. And then you even got Reese Williams, if it all goes horribly wrong again, is the fifth choice. Yeah, it's, that's a very good point. I think I'd say the
0: same. It's mad to think that actually next season, Liverpool's centre-back options might be incredibly deep when this season we've been having to play every man and his, and his dog at centre-half. Do you think Phillips' his performances this season, as Max says there, probably Premier League standard is something you know I'd agree with, before this season, I think there was link, he was linked with moves to like the championship. He obviously had a loan in in, in Bundesliga two um with um Stuttgart. Do you think he's kind of shown to potential clubs what he can do? And then because of what he's had to do in this team, come he kind of come in as a deputy, he's his status within with, within the games arisen and maybe Premier League clubs who wouldn't have considered him before will be looking at him this summer.
1: Yeah, I think definitely. I think Especially, you know, your typical British manager, your Bruces, your Deiches, your Mark Hughes. I don't, he's not in charge of anyone, but I'm sure he will be at some stage. They'll all probably love Nat Phillips. I think, um, you know, if he wasn't, I suppose, Bolton born and bred, he'd, he'd probably be on his way to Burnley already. Um, aside from that, I think, you know, your Palaces, your Newcastles, your teams who play, who play deep defensive lines, I think they'd be all over Phillips because, you know, as long as you're not looking for your quarterback. Playing at at centre half, I think he he'd be perfectly servible, serviceable in the Premier League. So yeah, I think you know if you're playing, no matter what the circumstances are. If you're playing, I suppose he must have nearly twenty games for Liverpool now in league and Champions League. You can't be that bad. So I think that's that's going to do him, um, give him some credit in the bank at least.
2: Yeah, I mean, like for, for a team who's sitting a bit deeper, he you know he's his aerial win rate is fantastic. Um, he's you know he's not afraid to um, go into a challenge he's not that bad with the ball his feet like the narrative that goes around him you'd think that he had two left feet but he um, no he's fine Um, like there's talk around sort of Ben Mee and James Tarkovsky Burnley just churning out English center halves left right and center and I wouldn't be surprised if someone came in for Tarkovsky or me because they're both they're both decent defenders um, and if they did go, then Nat Phillips would be, you know, he'd be a he'd be a good person to come in, or Lewis Dunk at Brighton. Um, someone taking a gamble on him. He was living with Chelsea last season. He's a good player. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Brighton came in for Phillips, if uh, um, if Dunk or Ben White even were to leave. And yeah, I think that for everything he's done, I think it would be. I mean, like, you know, we're a professional football club. We're not a charity. But at the same time, I think it would be a disservice to him to, you know, keep him on the bench, fifth choice. He, like, he might not play a single league game next season um, uh, with the centre-halves coming in. And I think for a player his age, he needs to play. So, yeah, I, I think if, if a club comes in with a £10-15 bid for him, then best of luck.
0: Yeah, and I think his organisation kind of leadership qualities have came through a little bit now as well. Obviously, when Kabak arrived, Phillips, out of the two of them, is probably, he's obviously the most experienced. He's older and he's got more experience in the Premier League, whereas you're right, you rightly say Paddy Kabak's ceiling is higher. But on, even on the weekend, again, Phillips is the more senior out of the two with Williams next to him, and he was organising. I think he was even kind of having a bit of a go at Alisson at one point for misplacing a couple of uh, passes. So he's, I think his stock's definitely risen. In terms of the other end of the pitch... Mane obviously scored um I think it was his first goal at Anfield in 2021 which shows everything you need to know about his form this season. It was a Mane goal and a Salah assist and I think I'm right in saying that's the first time those two have linked up this season for a goal. That statistic alone th- just shows how poor the front three has been as, as a unit really, doesn't it Paddy?
1: Yeah, I think definitely. I don't think you can you can really argue against that. Um, you know, and as well as just not being able to, to link up in the, the general play. I mean, they probably have. Mane probably has given Salah a pass that Salah has put over the bar and vice versa as well. So I think I think it's more than just the, the poor link up play. But then again when you think about it, how often do you really see wingers you know setting each other up? I mean they have to bypass a fair few players if they if they want to actually pass the ball to each other. Yeah. So um it is fairly difficult to to assist someone on the opposite flank. I know they're inverted forwards or they're not really wingers or whatever you want to say, but all the same, you have to get, you have to, you know, bypass two center halves, probably a defensive midfielder if you actually want a pass to go from one to the other. Um, So, you know, it's it's not as simple as that, but yeah, look, we all know that the, the front 3 hasn't has performed or, or been as, I suppose, harmonious as, as they have been for the last three or four years.
2: Yeah, I think there's this ever since that bloody Burnley game uh, when Mane came off and wasn't happy, there's been this narrative. It's it's almost funny um, how much how much this narrative has been pushed um, that Sarah and Mane hate each other and you know there's this huge rivalry and they don't pass to each other. These um bollocks. Uh, and as Paddy rightly said, to for a winger to assist another winger, you have to go th- you have to get the ball through a lot of players. Um, and I would say. I would say this is much down to Mane missing a lot of shots um, (laughs) for not getting an assist um, from Salah, because I'm fairly sure, um, I can think against Newcastle for one, that Salah's put Mane in a couple of pretty good positions and Mane's fluffed his lines. So I think to say that it's something about the rivalry between them or even imply it um, is just, just... being silly and looking for a headline really there's nothing more to it obviously in the game it was
0: a Mane, Salah, Jota front three so Firmino was left out were we more impressed with them than we have been or a lot of chances were still missed did we think it was much of the same or was there some sign of improvement to what we'd seen from the Newcastle and Leeds fixtures
1: um, I think Mane was a lot better, which you know wouldn't be hard compared to the last few ones. But I think he looked dangerous again, which was you know a big advantage because, in fairness to Mane, he, he hadn't scored for a good while, but he was still playing well. And then the after a few after a few weeks of that, that he didn't even play well, um, so he, he basically had nothing. Whereas I think he did play well at, at against Southampton. In fairness to him. Jota was quiet. Uh, hardly any moments really stick out. He had that one shot where he kind of he, he made an angle for himself fairly well. He got a bit of space in the box, but um, hit it straight at the keeper. Um, you know Salah, he drifts in and out of games as we know. All he needs is one moment. Um, but yeah, I think there was look we scored two goals, which is something we haven't done too often. So I think you have to kind of persist with the tree that that managed to do that.
2: Yeah, I think Jossa, I don't think he's as effective as a central striker as he is a left winger. When you see him popping up on the left, he loves making that far post run, um, especially a Trent's making the cross. He loves that far post run that um, that worked for Mane against um, against Southampton. Uh, part of me would like to see Salah played through the middle of the three with... Um, Mane on the right and Jota on the left. I understand why Salah doesn't because he's probably got the uh lowest work rate of the three in terms of pressing the opposition defense which is where against Real Madrid particularly in the first leg we really missed Firmino um when Jota was playing in that um in that role against them there wasn't enough pressure on the ball deep um deeper I <laughs> We've seen Salah play up top in a 4-2-3-1 before for Liverpool, and it's worked really well um, when he has played up there. I understand why Jürgen doesn't want to do it. He's got the full-backs pushing really high, and if you're just playing two midfielders, you can get outnumbered on the counter-attack. But, yeah, I think if you're going to play that front three, I think having Jota in the middle minimises his effectiveness. And Salah, much as I love him, he he is a he is a bit predictable we have to be honest like anytime Salah's going at someone you know he wants to get onto his left foot you absolutely know that and that doesn't mean that it doesn't work a lot it does but there were there were times there was a time in this game where he receives the ball he's in the box he's right footed he would have shot first time probably scored but he tried to dribble forward. Forster narrows the angle. Salah realises he can't shoot on his left and hits a really weak effort with his right at Forster. I think if you switch around the positions of the front three, you have a bit more flexibility in mm-hmm. your attack.
0: And the game obviously was concluded with Tiago's first goal, a really nice hit from outside the box. Um, <clears throat> he came under a little bit of scrutiny, mainly from pundits, I'd say, rather than Liverpool fans who perhaps don't understand his role as well as they should do Um, but he's definitely got an an eye for the goal when he's in the right position and we were talking off air before and saying how good he is at, at striking the ball. Do we want to see him more in advanced areas if possible because he's kind of been in some games being dragged quite deep and I think we saw with that goal what he can do when he's closer to the opposition goal.
1: Yeah, it's a tough one, because um, I was actually very, very impressed with him in those deeper positions on Saturday. I think he was, you know, dropping between Phillips and Williams and collecting the ball and, and you know, playing that playmaker role. Um, he, was, he was, you know, your typical quarterback, number six or whatever. Um, and he was spraying balls there that, you know, he had no right to spray. Um I think the system was, it was slightly different because, you know, Fabinho is usually that man receiving the ball from the centre-house, but it was, you know, as I say, it was Thiago this time. And I think it, it mirrored actually what Real Madrid do and what we saw against us. It was, you know, the number eight or the, the more advanced midfielder, which in this case, Thiago was Tony Cruz for them. He, you know, drops deeper and, and collects the ball off the centre-backs. And then the number six, which is, you know, Casemiro or Fabinho, they, you know, move a little bit higher up the field and, and put a squeeze on any potential counter-attack. So I think that worked really well because I think our midfield was a bit, it, you know, Southampton did probably give us as good a game as anybody has in terms of possession and, and things like that. But I think from an attacking point of view, our midfield worked fairly well, probably as good as it's, it's worked for a while. So, um you know, I do think Tiago's best attributes are as that quarterback. I think, you know, I can see the argument for why would you not use his attributes to play the play the final pass rather than the, the pre-assist. But I think we did try that for a while and I'm not sure it worked. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's a difficult situation, but I, I do think that he is better in the deeper positions.
2: Yeah, I think that his attributes don't really suit being higher at the pitch. He's, he had the form of his life at Bayern Munich last season playing in that Sort of deeper playmaker role with um, Kimmich um, covering for him, and I think we've seen him and Fabinho dovetail really well in that regard. I would have been very interested. Um, Paddy made a good uh, made a good point about Thiago dropping deep and receiving the ball and advancing our pitch from um, our play up the pitch from a bit deeper. If Danny Ings had played with how much he presses and how much of a pain in the arse he is for um, defenders receiving the ball. I would be very interested to see if Thiago still played that role, because obviously you want someone who's able to, you know, Thiago can beat a press, but I'm not sure he would have been as happy with someone like Ings chasing him because Southampton were missing him quite badly on the weekend, I thought.
0: Moving on to the next game, um, Manchester United away now looks massive. Obviously, this is a rearranged fixture due to the protests a couple of weeks ago. And because of that, they're, fixtures now look quite congested they play Leicester at time recording tomorrow which is Tuesday before us they just have one day break between those games obviously Max alluded earlier to the fact that maybe they well they're going to probably have to rotate at some point um do you think whatever that rotation looks like could benefit Liverpool in the sense that essentially they're, they're going to be knackered
1: yeah um Look, I think Max kind of alluded to it earlier on. It suits them to, to rest players against Leicester tomorrow night and and you know roll over and let them beat and let Leicester win the game and then you know just to spite us basically. Um, I think if it was roles reverse and we were in their shoes, I'd I'd want to do it as M. I'd happily lose <laughs> a game to to spite United and then try to beat them the, the next day. Um, you know the only thing is. I know it's it's nearly impossible but technically they can still win the league um, so I mean like look it's not going to happen but imagine if they did rest players against Leicester tomorrow night and they dropped points and then City went on to lose all the rest of their games I mean you know that would be probably the funniest thing I've ever seen <laughs> but I don't think that's going to happen but um, you know I, I think in terms of professionalism and all that they probably would have to, to play the best team they can but I, yeah, I can't see it I I, I assume Bruno, you know, Rashford, Maguire obviously picked up an injury at the weekend, but um, he probably won't play. I assume Palpa even probably won't play um, after that. They're not really great anyway, but um, yeah, I, I think they'll be probably keeping the best players they have in reserve for, for Thursday night.
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, Solskjaer already alluded to the fact that he was probably going to rest players against Leicester. I think his words were, Um, it's not my problem um, about Champions League qualification. Um, And he said these team selections might affect who gets into the Champions League. And to be fair, he is absolutely right. It isn't his problem whether uh, Liverpool or Leicester um, make the top four. But I think the, the benefit of Liverpool is that Man United have a really, really deep squad. So unless he really, really tries hard, Man United are going to have a decent side out against, um, against them. Like, you know, he can... Oh, no, I can't. I'm not going to play Luke Shaw. That's all right. I'll just play Brazilian international Alex Teller at left back. He can bring on Donny van der Beek. Um, Mason Greenwood will probably start up front ahead of Cavani. Um, Rashford will probably get a rest. Um, you know they're still going to have a decent team out, even even if he rotates all 11 of his players, he would still probably have a half decent team out on the pitch. Um, that's the benefit when you're worth something like four billion pounds or something. What that club's worth. Um, uh, yeah, I think it'll be very interesting to see what happens on that front. I would expect them to play their strongest possible team against us. I do think it, Harry Maguire. It doesn't look like he'll play on Thursday. And I, I do think that's huge. He has a weakness of um, obviously against pace with room in behind him, but he has played so much for them. And he's such an organizer of how they defend. And I will be very interested to see how their defensive line manages without him.
0: Yeah, and I think Klopp's record at Old Trafford isn't the greatest. Um we've seen that over the years. Obviously, a few of those games were nil-nil bore fest with Mourinho football at the, at the helm. Um, Why do we think Klopp's had a bit of a sticking point with Man United in the past? Is it just circumstance or is there a bit more to
1: it? Um, yeah, look, I mean, Old Trafford's a tough place to go. Um, it's still United at the end of the day and it's still 80,000 fans or 75,000, whatever, under normal circumstances, obviously, um, screaming, you know, death threats at you for 90 minutes. Um, but yeah, I suppose you know Klopp teams probably struggle against counterattacking teams. Usually, um, United are probably the best counterattacking team in the league. In fairness, um, well, uh, like City and Liverpool, if they were to play a counterattacking system, probably would be better. But yeah, as a team that most often goes out and plays counterattacking football, they probably are the best at that. Um, so yeah, no, United team has really kind of come out and, and given us a game since Klopp has been at the club. So. That's I, I suppose it's a um, simple enough answer to it, really, but it, it probably is the correct one.
2: I think um, one thing I will say for Solskjaer is that he was very smart in um, last season's game at Old Trafford, playing the back three, having split strikers. Um, both for, I think he was Rashford and James up front, I think, for Man United in that game. And they played really wide, the two strikers, and they waited for Robertson and Trent to bomb on. And they would play the ball in behind um, the two fullbacks um, quite a lot and sit deep. And Maguire and Shaw just shut down Mo Salah on that side. Because if you don't give Mo space to run into, and the same with Mane, same with a lot of our forwards, if you don't give them space to run into, they struggle. Um I'll be very interested to see how Klopp approaches it tactically. I wouldn't be surprised if, given the situation we have in defence, if he went for it a bit and played a 4-2-3-1. Because what that also does um, is he could play Salah at the point um, and it would give uh, full-backs a little bit more cover. Um, when they go forward, you got the wide men slightly deeper. It gives you a little bit more security, Play for and Tiago as a double pivot. They're both used to that um, that system. The balance of work quite well. Um, and then Bobby playing in that number ten role. I I would be I would not be surprised if we saw that, given how United like to play against us, playing those two wide strikers to get behind our fullbacks.
0: And on on that point, that sounds really good and really positive. But I wonder if and I hope this doesn't happen, but I'm wondering if he will go Fabinho back in the centre-half position for this fixture with, it looks like Kabak's not going to make it, <clears throat> not going to be fit for this game. With that being the case, Rhys Williams, I think we've said on here before, it's not his fault, but he's not ready for this level, and he's probably playing at a level that he may never be ready for. Does that concern you if we do you know, go with Fabinho in centre-back, or does it concern you more having Phillips and Reese next to each other?
1: yeah um look I, th- I think we can only go off what we've seen and what we've seen is you know fabinho playing midfield and williams and phillips at the back and they kept a clean sheet Rhys williams looked very shaky he looked slow as a funeral but look it's a tough situation because fabinho has played at center back and and we've we've lost games um so it's it's really a bit of a cash 22 i think it's I think, personally, I, I obviously think that Fabinho has to stay in midfield and, and he'll provide a bit of security, but um, yeah, look, we know Williams is a, is a bit of a liability and I think he will be a, a perfectly fine defender, but he's he's just so young at the moment um, and we saw how he went against United in the FA Cup. He was obviously a fall for one of the goals, if not two, if I remember correctly um, and look, I, I know Ben Davis apparently had a knock at the weekend, but could this be the game for him? I don't know. I, I wouldn't mind hearing what he thought about that because yeah, look, I presume he's chained up in a basement somewhere. But like we saw Trent come in against United a few years ago, you know, out of the cold. We saw Nathaniel Klein come in from after two years out against United and, and start the game. So I th- I don't think Klopp would be completely against it as as some people probably think he would be. Um look, at the end of the day, Dave's probably gonna be fit anyway, but I, if he is, then I, I'd obviously try to go with that. And I suppose, better the devil you know than the devil you don't, or whatever way that saying goes. Um, So, yeah, look, I'd I'd rather see Fabinho midfield personally, but, yeah, it's a tough situation again.
2: Yeah, um, for me, it's not even a question. Um, Man United's threat goes through Bruno Fernandes. That is just it. And Fernandes likes to play in that space in front of the defenders. If he's not getting the ball... United's threat is seriously reduced um, and I think that Fabinho in that role, he can bully him, he can get close to him, he can make life difficult for him um, and at centre-back he just doesn't have the opportunity to do that and uh, the balance now midfield gets completely thrown. If Jordan Henderson was hit, was fit and he could slot into that number six role with um, Fabinho at at centre-half with Thiago Jenny in front of him, fine. I wouldn't have an issue. But not having that combative presence, someone to, you know, organise the midfield when we're behind the ball um, to make life difficult for Manchester United's creative players, the the results we've had speak for themselves. When Fabinho plays in midfield, we win. When he plays at centre-half, we don't. And this is a must-win game, I think, with the data that I'm sure the Liverpool um, staff have collected. There is only one choice. Um, Williams and Phillips, I don't think Davies will get thrown into it. Um, I think if Jürgen wasn't ready to throw him in against Southampton, I think he certainly won't be willing to throw him out of whatever basement he's chained up in um, uh, onto the Old Trafford turf, especially a player coming from Preston. Um, to play his first game against the likes of like Edison Cavani's probably one of the best point men I've seen and to put him up against Cavani for his first ever Liverpool game would be harsh I think Williams no matter what happens he's not ready for this level like he, I'm sure he's a lovely lad um, and I'm sure he'll forge a good career in the championship or league one or something but he just isn't ready for this level but it's the situation we're in
0: um, in terms of the midfield, obviously, personally, I thought it looked a little bit leggy towards the end against Southampton. If we played a 4-2-3-1 like Max was suggesting there, that wouldn't be so much of a problem. But I was just wondering, would it be time for someone on the bench to kind of step up? Maybe not Oxlade-Chamberlain or a Curtis-Jones. Um, obviously, Miller and Kaito are both injured for this fixture and we're not sure what, be, what their fitness levels will be like for, for Thursday. But what do you think of, of that as an option?
1: yeah i don't think against united i look i personally again would love to see one of them play probably instead of Wijnaldum, but i doubt they will um i think ox especially i think he gets a bit of a raw deal i mean i think we forget just how good he was when he first came in and he, he went on that run of form obviously scoring against city um scoring a, a massive goal and then obviously he just got that injury and Look, even last season, at the start of the season, he scored an unbelievable goal against Genk. He scored a good one against Arsenal in the in the AFL Cup. I think he he is a really good player, especially for for somebody who, I suppose, is as versatile as he is. But I do think playing that number eight role, he, he can bring something special. He saw it against Atletico Madrid as well. I think Jamie Carragher references every time he sees Oxide chamberlain that that was probably the best game. He played in the Liverpool shirt. Um, and, you know, if he can be trusted in the Champions League knockouts, um it was the last 16 wasn't it if he can be trusted in that game then there should be no reason he, he can't be trusted anymore but i i think yeah there's no way that clock doesn't pick one unless milner is back
2: um i think one starts 100 percent Yeah wine absolutely starts clock trusts him um he has been in pretty Average form. I mean, he's like he's nowhere near as some as bad as some Liverpool fans make him out. Some Liverpool fans make him out to be like some sort of Dutch version of Lee Catamole, but <laughs> um uh no, Ginny one Adam is a very, very good player. Um, and I think Klopp will start him. I mean, pet Landers um, you know, he sings his praises whenever he gets the chance. Um, and I think that um Ginny will start. I think Fabinho will start in midfield, and I think Thiago will start. He's the best midfield three out of everything we've got. Naby Keita, to be perfectly honest, I've lost patience Um, at this point. I think that he's a very talented player. He hasn't fitted our system. Um, He has had some quality in fits and starts, but the the guy just can't stay fit. And it has to get to a point where you just go, look, We've persisted and persisted and persisted with this, and it just isn't going to happen. Curtis Jones, maybe in the 4 two, three, one, If, um, uh, if one of the front four is getting tired, whack him into that number 10 role or even off the left where he's comfortable. I would have no issues there. Um, and as you said, Paddy ox can provide an impact, he hasn't provided that impact for quite some time though. Um, you know, we're talking like we're talking about the Man City game that was what three four years ago. Um, and I think that those injuries have affected his pace, which is what made him so good in, um, in his first period for Liverpool was that speed and direct running out of midfield. I just don't think that's there anymore.
0: And after this game, there's obviously West Brom on Sunday and then uh, the final two fixtures against Burnley, Burnley and Palace. Winnable on paper, obviously, as we've been saying all season, but obviously we've been given this kind of glimmer of hope with, with the top four is it are we just too
1: inconsistent
0: to you know go out and smash four wins in a row
1: uh, who knows you know based on this season definitely we are too inconsistent but you know things are constantly changing um, you know farm you know, everything it's it's the strangest of years as we all know um, you can't put a past them to go and lose every one of their next three games so you can't but at the same time of course they can win them all as well yeah um, but look, it, who knows? I, I'm sick of coming on here and getting proved wrong every single time we go out and lose after I, I, I back us. But um, yeah, I don't know.
2: It, the, as I've said many times before, is this squad capable of winning all our games? Absolutely. This squad is still, I don't care what the results say, this squad is still packed with world-class players for one reason or another it has not worked this season, whether that be injuries or just hitting bad form, or in some cases COVID. Um, you know, there are a multitude of reasons. And those reasons mean we probably won't win all four games, is the sad fact. I don't think that we're going to beat Manchester United on Thursday. I know, I know the positivity usually comes shining from me, but um uh yeah, no, I, I don't think that we'll win all the games I think we're perfectly capable of winning the games and I think we will win the games after Manchester United because I think that a loss or a draw um, to Manchester United will give us a kick up the arse and we'll go oh my god we really need to go now and we'll probably win the final three games but I think that beating United um, especially given the loss of Kabak is a long long shot could happen I could be wrong and my god I hope I am but i i don't think we'll will be united
0: well we'll keep our fingers crossed that max is wrong uh, and that we get the win <laughs> um, but yeah we, you know it's difficult isn't it i don't think we could barely put a run of two wins together this season so four it's a bit of a stretch but we'll have to wait and see um, obviously the final game of the season palace at home fans are expected to be back 10,000 i think we've obviously missed them this season it's not the reason the season's gone the way it has, but I think it's played a part. If we you know, need a win on the last day to get in the top four, it'll be a massive boost to have fans back, um, even if it's just for one fixture, will not it, Paddy?
1: Oh, yeah, 100%. I think we saw against Spurs in West Ham, those those two games. Did we have fans against West Ham? I think we did. The two games we had fans, I think I think we won. Um, look, the, the whole thing about this Jurgen Klopp team is the mentality monsters. Um, that's kind of what makes them what they are and I think obviously Anfield is a massive part of that so no matter if it's only 10,000 fans as opposed to, to 50,000 I think they're going to have an impact definitely
2: Yeah I think that losing fans has I mean everyone says every team loses fans you know like every everyone's had this problem and it's true everyone has had this problem but different teams are affected differently by, um, by losing their fans and Everyone talks about the Anfield atmosphere as a myth, and then acts all shocked when, in a on a big European night at Anfield, when it looks like we have no chance, the huge Anfield roar gets behind the team, and we come back. And then the and then a couple months pass, and the myth um, talk starts again. Um, yeah, I mean, having fans back will be such a huge boost for the players, and it will be great to sign off with a win, um, no matter what happens. I think having 10,000 people come back to the stadium will be absolutely brilliant um, to see for um, for fans against Palace. And hopefully we can sign off um, with a positive against that. I mean, like, how good would that be? The, the 10,000 fans come back and we win the game to get top four. That would just be such a great way to end an absolute shit pile of a season.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And just... I think we, some certain players thrive on having them there. Firmino is the obvious example. I think when we saw them come back in for that short short spell, he was, you know, a bit wouldn't say rejuvenated, but he could see it affecting his performance. And there's probably two or three of us where that's the, the same for as well. And before we go, we'll do the big question of the week where I put a football-related question to the guys and just get their thoughts, really. And this week is Jose Mourinho at Roma. Obviously, last week... He was appointed the Roma manager. And the question is kind of twofold, is it? Does this appointment signal the end of Jose's time at the top, top level of European football? And how will the appointment go? So we'll start with the first question. Is, is he done at the top level?
1: Um, Yeah, I think so. I think like, look, Spurs isn't the top level, if you ask me. I think once he left United, I think that kind of single, signaled the end for him. I suppose, for competing for titles and and Champions Leagues. Um, Look, the thing with Jose is he just, he hasn't moved on with the times, you know. I mean, yes, he had all that success, but that was 10 years ago or more at this stage. And he just hasn't managed to adapt to, to not only the game, but I think, you know, from a human, a humanity perspective. I mean, people have changed so much in the last 10, 15 years. You know, back in the day, you had, terry and you had lampard you had all these you know really i suppose mentally strong characters that that they're able to take criticism whereas you know your younger generation like i'm in that generation myself i i'm around you know young people all the time as they're two yourselves lads you just know that certain people can't take that kind of criticism and jose just doesn't seem to understand that so I think unless he is able to adapt and, and, and play, I suppose, horses for courses rather than, than painting everyone with the one brush and thinking that the same thing is going to work for everybody, I think unless he learns how to do that, then, yeah, I think he is done at top level. Because, look, tactically, he obviously... He, look, he plays defensive football, as we all know, but I think the biggest thing for him is he, he believes that the players don't give him what he wants to get, and and that's probably because they don't like him very much. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's. I think he was so. He had such a close relationship with his staff through all the times um, that he moved with him, and particularly Rui Faria, who was his assistant for years and years and years. And he's not with him at Spurs. And apparently, Faria was the link to the squad, the sort of um, good cop, bad cop um, uh, kind of thing uh, that they had going on. And he hasn't had that at Spurs. And he. Um, He probably won't have it at Roma unless there's some huge, you know, turnaround. Um, Do I think he's done at the top level? I think it's hard to say, to be honest. Like, this Spurs squad is not that good. Um, And the Roma squad is not that good, to be honest. Um, Will he get the funds to compete with Inter Milan and Juventus? Probably not. But will he get the funds to try and challenge for a top four position and maybe get some revenue in? I don't think. I think the difference here is that Spurs had Spurs had built this brand new stadium. They had Harry Kane, who he's on in their prime, and people were thinking, okay, this is Spurs are going for it here. They are going to try and win the title and and all that jazz. And at the beginning of the season, when they were absolutely killing it on um, with counter attacking football. It looked like Spurs were ready, you know, to move to that next stage. But I think the benefit for Jose Roma is that no one's expecting Roma next season to just all of a sudden go back to the days when they had Totti and, and Cafu and Batistuta um, and, you know, go for the Serie A title. I think getting into the top four, which given the, how inconsistent a lot of the Serie A teams appear to be outside of Inter Milan, um, is very possible. Whether that squad is ready to compete at that level is a big question, particularly if we've signed Lorenzo Pellegrini, who is um, certainly one of their best players and has been linked to us by um, uh, David Maddock recently.
0: So, yeah, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because obviously Roman's ambitions are top four next season. Beyond that, maybe, you know, eventually I'm sure their ambitions are to challenge for the, for the league title, which they eventually, I think they've been kind of... Not one for it would be 20 years next next year. So, do we think, how do we think, Max has alluded to it there, but how do we think the appointment's going to go in the sense, is it going to follow its usual kind of three year cycle of rebuild, win everything, then all completely collapse? Or at Tottenham, it didn't even last the three years. So, how do we view this this um, relationship going?
1: Yeah, look, I think I probably speak for everyone. I say I don't think he's going to win at Serie A. Um even getting top four next year I can't see it I think Inter, Atalanta AC Milan, Napoli Juventus, assumably will get back at it next season, Lazio they're all better teams than Roma from a squad perspective Um but the thing is, as Max said, the, the Roma hierarchy aren't going to be looking for a title next season they mightn't even be looking for top four next season I think if he comes in the top seven then they'll probably be, they won't be happy with it, obviously, but they, they, I don't think they'd sack him over that. Um, so yeah, I think Max, you mentioned Lorenzo Pellegrini there, I think he's probably just on the verge of becoming a superstar. And I think Jose will absolutely love him because as good as he is going forward, he works like an absolute demon as well. And um, I think he'll, he'll love him if he can build a team around him, then Maybe they'll get somewhere. And, you know, Ed Dzeko as well is, is probably the exact kind of striker that you can see Jose getting a bit of output from, even if he is, I suppose, approaching 35 at this stage. And I know he's been linked to the move away for, for a while now. But if he does stay, then you can see him getting a few goals out of him. But do I think it'll be enough to get, I suppose, top four next season? No. Um, do I think it'll be enough to secure Jose a few more years in charge? And probably, yeah. Um. Yeah. Look, we know how the Joseph cycle goes. He'll probably fall out with somebody eventually. It just depends whether they'll he'll manage to get them back to a good level before that happens or not.
2: Yeah, I think um he's certainly got players that. There's like there's potential there. Um Zaniolo, if he can keep um Nicola Zaniolo fit, that will be a huge boost. He is a really really talented young player. Um. And he probably won't get stolen away just purely because he hasn't been able to um, keep fit. But the one issue that Roman do have is um, for a guy who's renowned for his defensive football, um, Jose's best years have been when he's had really good wingers um, to play with. Like um, at Inter Milan, he had Samuel Leto was so vital for him playing out wide with Milito up front. At Chelsea, obviously, he had Damien Duff and Anya Robin um, in his first spell there and then he had um Eden Hazard um ripping it up when he was there um as well and Roma just do not have great wide players at the moment um you know Pedro like Pedro who let's be honest is getting on is probably their best wide player Henry Mkhitaryan um uh plays out wide as well but like they are not of the standard um that I'm sure Jose would be looking for in his uh in his team there's talk about them getting uh trincal from barcelona i'm uh sad to say i haven't seen that much of him what i have seen i've been impressed with um playing off the right wing but uh yeah yeah um if he can make a couple of signings in the summer and he he seems very hit and miss Jose in the market. When he gets it right, he gets it absolutely perfect. But um, he needs to have a good summer if he wants to get Roma to a higher level. And I, I think, yeah, I think he could. I think he's absolutely capable of getting Roma um, to a level where they're challenging for top four. If they're going to win the Scudetto, probably not. But you never know.
0: We will see. Um, that's all for this week. So Paddy, Max, thank you as ever for your time.
1: Thanks for having me on, this
0: Always a pleasure, mate. Thank you. Brilliant. And we'll be back next week um, with all the latest Liverpool news. Until then, you can keep up to date on our website, anfieldcentral.co.uk and our Twitter, at Anfield underscore central. With all our podcasts available on Acast or Apple Pods. But until then, goodbye.